Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. And uh, we actually have some good Utah Jazz basketball to talk about. We've been off for a week, so uh, we appreciate everyone sticking with us through the holidays and now into the new year. Uh, the Utah Jazz are 5-2 and two in their last seven games. We'll talk about what is going right for the Utah Jazz and how they have put themselves in a spot to potentially compete for a play-in tournament berth before the end of the season. We'll talk about uh, some of the weekly news that's happened with the Jazz. What is coming up this uh, week for the Jazz, the games that they've got before we'll record the next podcast. We'll do our Jazz grades, and then we will answer a robust list of questions in the Q&A. So, Chandler, uh, let's go ahead and get started. You can find us on Twitter at Ben's Hoops, at Chandler Holt KSL, and read us at kslsports.com. What has happened over the last two weeks? Yeah, I want to go back a little bit uh, to the three-game losing streak uh, to Dallas, the Clippers, and the Thunder in December. We were talking about that was like the worst week of Jazz basketball, perhaps, in the whole season. And then absolutely just turned the season around uh, to finish out that month and then to start uh, the 2024 with a win over uh, the Dallas Mavericks, a 37-point win. Not going to check it. I'm pretty sure that's the biggest win of the season so far for Mm -hmm. Utah. Um, And that's a team that you lost to uh, by 50 points just about a month ago. And then you come in, they come in to the Delta Center and you get a big win there. And then they also beat the Heat on the 30th. That was a game that maybe they weren't expected to win. Their two losses were the five and two in the last seven. Like we said, their two losses come seven and eight points. So wasn't like it was blowouts the the Jazz are competitive right now yeah maybe they should have beat Cleveland in that lot you know when you go back and look at it because Cleveland was missing so many bodies and I remember saying at the time that was a bad loss for the Jazz and actually the further they get we get away from it the more I believe that that was a bad loss but they've had so many good wins around it yeah they were nine games below 500 they're still what four games below 500 but they are making up ground at a pace that they're really hard to beat in Salt Lake they're not totally inept on the road like they were to start the year and if you keep that up with the number of teams that are going to check out late in the season because they want to improve their draft stock or they just naturally kind of fall apart, the Jazz, I do think, have a realistic chance of uh, climbing into that 10th seed. They're going to have to overtake some good teams, whether that's the Lakers or the Rockets or the Pelicans or the Warriors. To get there, it's not going to be easy, but uh, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities the way it felt like it was three weeks ago, You know, December 11th. They lose to Oklahoma City. We were talking about that terrible stretch, and it felt like this season's pretty irredeemable. Uh, the difference there, though, if we want to go back that far, Lowry Markinen does not play in the Jazz loss to the Thunder, and they fall in Oklahoma City 120 to 134. Lowry Markinen comes back to the lineup against the Knicks. They win 117 113, and they've been, they're 8 and 3 since then. So Lowry's that good. That's yes. what I think my takeaway is, is Lowry's a fabulous basketball player, uh, is the Jazz best player, and they're much better when he's on the floor. And then Will Hardy's really figured out some rotation pieces with Colin Sexton starting and Chris Dunn starting that has made them better. Yeah, if you look at the standings, the last time we checked in, the Jazz were about, I think it was around four and a half, five games away from getting to the 10th seed. Right now, they're only one and a half games from moving up and stealing the 11th seed from the Warriors and two games from stealing the 10th seed from the Lakers. Yeah. So they're right there in that picture. And they have a game tonight against the Pistons, so they could potentially inch a little bit closer. Yeah, so uh, the week ahead, the Jazz play the uh, Pistons tonight, as you mentioned. Really tough road trip. Yes. In Philly. Well, they start in Boston on Friday. Back-to-back in Philly Saturday night, and they close out Monday on the road uh, in Milwaukee. 
If you win one of those games, you're probably happy. If the Jazz go two and two this week, I think it's a really good sign. Oh yes, definitely. Because you're looking at you're going to beat Detroit. Yeah, they're going to beat Detroit. You have to beat Detroit uh, when you look at the upcoming games after this. Uh, because we've talked about it, the tough schedule doesn't just stop after this three game road trip for the Jazz. If you look at the games coming after that, yeah. uh, you have Denver, you have uh, Los Angeles, you have Indiana, Golden State, Oklahoma right. City. You have a bunch of really good teams, but this Eastern Conference road trip is going to be potentially the toughest three-game stretch of the season. Right. Boston has been on top of the world in the East. They have tw- they're have they 26-7, and seven, which is the best record in the NBA right now. And then Milwaukee and Philly are second and third. Yeah. Um, all of those teams have looked really good as of late, and all of them are really good defensive teams as well. Three games in four nights, really difficult, yes. against three of the five or six best teams in the NBA. So not... Probably not going to be pretty, but again, if you can steal one of those games and beat Detroit tonight, you're going to you're gonna feel like you're in good shape. That's what's coming up. Uh, over the last week, it's been a fun week. Again, we've talked about the wins already for the Jazz, but uh, most notably, Jordan Clarkson, after 15 years, breaks the triple-double drought. Uh, and a fun way to kick off the new year. And I thought it was very fitting that A, it was Jordan Clarkson, B, that it happened on New Year's when everyone's kind of turning a page already, uh, and everyone was excited about it. And a very easy win. I mean, I did not expect the Jazz to blow out Dallas the way they did. And then coming off of a win over Miami, which I'm not surprised the Jazz beat the Heat. That last game before New Year's Eve, when everyone's going home, Miami's flying back to Miami. I think that was the end of a three-game road trip. And they're just saying, like, let me get back to South Beach for beautiful weather and party, you know, a great party town for New Year's Eve. They're, they're going to quit playing in Salt Lake City, especially when Jimmy Butler gets hurt. And certainly they did. I wasn't surprised the Jazz won that game, but... To have Luka available and playing and for them to just blow them out. I mean, that game was very lopsided. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the triple-double for just one more second. The last time a Jazz player posted a regular season triple-double, George Bush was president. Yep. Taylor Swift had one album released. Steph Curry was still playing at Davidson. Yep. The Apple App Store hadn't come out yet. And Keontae George was four years old. Yeah, Keontae was four. How old were you? Um, It was 2008. 2008. I was... Six years old, might have been seven. Yeah, I mean, you grew up in Seattle. Yeah, so the Seattle, the, like you knew the you were a Sonics fan. Like yes, you you have known that franchise as existing at some point in your life. But man, that was ancient. I remember the game. I remember Carlos Boozer getting the triple double. I remember watching that basketball game. That's how old and decrepit I am. But <laughs> yeah, that was a you know, but certainly nobody thought that was going to be the last triple double for fifteen years, yes. and that there would be a thousand triple doubles in between the Jazz uh, getting triple doubles. You know. It, with Carlos Boozer and and and, uh, and then obviously Jordan Clarkson following it up. Nobody thought there would be a thousand other players in the league or a thousand other instances yep. where triple doubles recorded, and none of them involved the Jazz. But it was fun. It was. I thought the Jazz celebrated it well. Again, Jordan Clarkson's absolutely the right guy uh, to get it. You know, it could have been Chris Dunn or Kelly Olynyk or Walker, and it would have been funny that it was one of these kind of random players to do it. But Jordan Clarkson's beloved in the state of Utah. He's the longest-tenured player. Everybody recognized how fitting that was after the game. And I actually applaud Will Hardy for keeping Jordan in the game to do it. Because yes. it's it's not a big deal. Triple-doubles don't matter. They're a superfluous number. It's just that we like tens for some reason. Yep. how many fingers we have, so that's how we count. But it 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 had become a story of its own. Yes. And so having a chance to break it and having him break it on a game when he was playing well— and by the way, hasn't been that good this season. Mm-mm. So it's a good sign that, like, hey, you found a way to get Jordan Clarkson playing his best on a night, coming off the bench in fewer than 30 minutes and being really effective. It, I think it actually symbolized something a lot bigger than the triple-double, though it was fun to break the streak. Yeah, and Simone Fontecchio also had an amazing game against Dallas. 24 points, 10 for 16 shooting. And when you look at 10 for 16 from Simone and 24 points, you're like, okay, maybe he had, like, 
seven threes, six threes. You know, no, he shot three for eight from three. Six rebounds, yeah. two steals, a block. He was all over the court. He was three of four from three in the first quarter. And you're like, okay, he's off to a hot start. But if he doesn't shoot threes the rest of the game, is he going to be able to do anything? And he did. Simone's gotten really good. He's become a really good player. He's he's somebody who, you know, I know we had talked about early in this podcast of, like, he's a borderline NBA player. Maybe he's not on the roster next year. Maybe he's just competing. We actually said, I think he was the player I picked for, like, who needs a good year for the Jazz to start the season. Uh, and he was terrific. And he was really good at FIBA again and then came back and has been nothing short of above expectations, I think. Uh, and is not only going to be in the NBA next year, but is going to have some bidders this offseason. In fact, might be a hot name at the trade deadline. Sneaky. I don't think the Jazz would trade him. I think they'd probably prefer to keep him around, but you need a veteran who can shoot, and he's not a great defensive player, but he plays really hard on that end. Those guys matter. You like to have those guys. Uh, And he's 28 years old, so he may not fit the Jazz timeline, but if you keep him around, he's just fine. So good for him. He's had a great week as well. And uh, you're right, that 24-point outing was pretty impressive. And uh, one of the surprises so far in the Jazz season, he's been a big part of their turnaround. Take a quick break. When we come back, we will give our Jazz grades and we will answer uh, an extended Q&A mailbag session. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, KSLSports.com. All right, uh, let's do our Jazz grades. We always do this coming out of the break. We look at the veterans, the young players, the standings, and the fun factor. And let's start with the veterans. I guess we can do this really over the last two weeks because uh, we we didn't do any grades last week, the the day after Christmas. Veterans? Man, they've been they've been pretty spectacular. Yeah, as you mentioned, ever since Laurie Markkinen made his return, the Jazz have looked like basically a different team. Um, and he leads that veteran group. Jordan Clarkson has struggled, like you said, but he had the triple double yesterday, and he's been returned to a bench role. And I think that that's been good for him to sort of get his feet back under him and get his shot back a little bit. Um, and then you have uh, other veterans performing pretty well. Um, I think all these grades are going to be pretty high after uh, the last few weeks of Jazz basketball. I'm going to go maybe a maybe a B, flat B. I think I'm going to go B+. Plus. B+. Plus. Lowry's been good. Collins playing the best basketball of his season, which I think is really important. Collins Sexton moving into the starting lineup has been critical for the Jazz having the success that they are having right now. Uh, John Collins has actually been somewhat suitable. Like He's kind of quiet, but I don't think he's losing you games right now, which there were stretches early in the year where I thought John Collins might be losing you games. He's kind of fallen back in the rotation a little bit. He's less of a focus, but he's not become a bad teammate as a result. Kelly Olenek is playing really well, as he always plays well. His three-point shooting numbers are down over the last seven games, but he's shooting 62% from the floor, starting a bunch. So uh, Kelly Olenek's been awesome. Chris Dunn's playing really well, his best basketball this season by far. Uh, so, yeah, B-plus, I'm very happy with that uh, with that grade for the Jazz veterans. Part of the reason, and it's the main reason why they're winning as many games as they are. Now moving on to the young players. Um Keontae George returned from injury. He's been playing pretty well, and Simone Fontecchio as well. Walker Kessler has been coming off the bench, which I saw some Jazz fans were upset with. I don't think it's the worst thing. I think that Walker Kessler has some things that he needs to figure out defensively and especially offensively. I'm going to go for a B again, another flat B for me. Walker coming off the bench is the right move. Yes. He's averaging nine points, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half blocks, but most importantly, he's shooting 74% from the floor again, which remember his whole last year had he taken three more shots. He would have led the NBA in field goal percentage. He just didn't qualify because he took 197 shots, and you have to take 200 to qualify as the league leader. He would have led the NBA in field goal percentage. And a lot of this year, it's been down like 54%, which is just not good. Like 54% is a great number for a guard, a really good number for a wing, and terrible for a center. 
you've got to shoot 55 to 65 percent and if you're below that it's really bad and walker is not a good enough offensive player as far as creating his own shot that he should ever be shooting below 65 percent because he's only getting dunks he's only getting alley-oop finishes and putbacks off of offensive rebounds so coming off the bench and playing with that lineup has really unlocked his offense again uh, and he's only getting six shots a game, but that's fine. If he's shooting 75% from the floor, you'll take that, and he's rebounding well. He seems engaged again. I think that's really a positive. Keontae George's uh, efficiency is actually up a little bit, still only at 39% from the floor, but 42% from three. He had the really big game when he came back uh, against Miami in the fourth quarter. He was brilliant, uh, helped the Jazz win that game, uh, even though he's coming off the bench, and I know some Jazz fans are probably less than thrilled about that. He's buying in. He recognizes it's part of what you got to do to help the team win. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Simone's been great. So, yeah, good week for the young guys. I'm not sure I would give as high a grade as I would the uh, vets just because I don't think they've been as critical for the Jazz winning, but I'd give them a solid B. Also, moving on to the standings. Now, in the past for the standings, I've looked at it as sort of the grand scheme of the NBA, and since the Jazz have been stuck in the bottom five of the West, it's been a lot of lower grades. But I think we should start looking at it as compared to the Jazz from earlier in the season, now that we're more than two months into it. And the Jazz have looked great. Like I said, they're only two games away from being into the postseason picture. And more importantly than that is they're further away from sliding down to 14th or 15th. They're almost 10 games away from being the 15th seed. So I'm going to go with a B- minus here. Five and two since we last talked. They've won four or five out of six. They've won eight out of 11. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I think uh, that's a good grade for them. They've been very good, and now they've got to figure out, can they actually get over the hump and climb into that 10 seed? Because I, I think you want to convey your first-round pick to the Thunder. We can talk about that a little bit coming up in the uh, in the mailbag, but you you got to win games to get there and it, at least have the opportunity to choose which direction you want to take at the trade deadline. You'll have your opportunity to say, hey, you want to go for the playoffs or, hey, you want to fall back. You don't want to have that set for you because – you're not good enough to be able to pick. That gives the Jazz more flexibility, and that's going to be a good thing coming up towards the end of January and into February. Last up, fun factor. Um, it's pretty easy here. Winning is fun, I would say. I'd give them an A. Yeah, I was about to say You get a. the triple-double. They're blowing out teams. They've been fun to watch. They're playing really hard. They're laughing. They're enjoying being with each other. Yeah, A, I think fun factor. This has been by far the most enjoyable two-week stretch of the Jazz season so far. Awesome. You want to get in the mailbag? Let's do it. I send out a prompt on Twitter every Tuesday. We're recording this on a Wednesday just because uh, we're getting back for the holidays. But uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I tag Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL and, of course, KSL Sports. Send us your questions. I'll send out a thing saying, hey, we're doing the mailbag today. You reply to that tweet, and uh, we will try to get them answered either in an article or uh, right here in the podcast. What do we have first? Uh, first up, from Braden Clark. What would be the buyer-seller scenario for the Jazz come trade deadline? Is there a record where they could become buyers or sellers at that time? Is it more likely we stay the course? I think it's more likely dependent on the offers than it is the Jazz record, in all honesty. I still don't think the Jazz are going to be in a spot where they're saying, oh man, we are at this point 21 and 23 or what you know whatever the Jazz's record would be at the trade deadline and saying we're going to make a trade to get better I don't think that's how Danny Ainge is going to look at it I think he's going to say oh the Knicks are offering Milwaukee's first round pick and Evan Fournier for Kelly Olynyk. well we would like to get another first round pick so we're going to make that trade regardless of what it does to our record this season that's that's what I see happening. I don't necessarily see the Jazz making a, like, let's win now or let's lose now trade. It's going to be purely dependent on the value they get back. 
And I think that's the right move, in all honesty. It's a big-picture perspective. What happens this season truly probably doesn't matter all that much unless the Jazz are dead set on conveying their first-round pick to the Thunder so they control all of their future first going forward. Yeah, I don't think the Jazz are in... They're in, they're in sort of a unique position when you look at buying and selling in the um, NBA market because if you look at teams like Detroit and San Antonio, it's pretty clear they're lose now. And then if you look at teams like New York, for example, they're clearly win now. They're making yeah. trades to go out there and win. Right. Um, and the Jazz, if anything, it would be stay the course. So if they do make a buy or a sell move, it would be from another GM making a call into town rather than going out. And I, I, don't, agree with that. I, I don't think anything they do is to change the outcome of this season. I think a lot of it has to do with how does it affect you next year, the year after that, the year after that. They're just still very big picture in their rebuild. There's no reason to start looking at the micro. I think you keep it macro here. Uh, but good question, Brady. Uh, uh, here's what I will say. If the Jazz lose 10 of their next 13 and fall back to 13th place in the West, they're going to be sellers. Yeah. Uh, that will happen by February 15th or whenever the trade deadline is. That That is the scenario to more, I guess, better address the question. That could happen if the Jazz absolutely collapse. I just don't see that happening. Uh, next up from Canon Law, kind of a silly one. If Luka Doncic asks for a trade tomorrow, what kind of package does it take to get him to Utah? All right, let me. I'll actually do this. I'm going to pull up a trade machine right now, and I'm going to try to not be too slow on doing this. And I will try to put together a trade that works between the Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks. And I do think a lot of people probably saw it on Twitter. I was there at the Jazz game, sitting courtside before the game started. Like, it is weird that Ryan Smith. And Luca have this like very buddy buddy relationship. Like they like have their arms around each other. They're talking after the game. And look, maybe Luca has that with everybody. I don't think he does. But like, there's a thing there. And I, if it were the other way around, and like Donovan Mitchell last year, or two years ago, let's say two years ago, was going and hugging Tom Thibodeau or Eric Spolster after games and being like whispering in each other's ears, every Jazz fan would be like, "Get these guys off the floor. What are you doing?" You don't get to talk to all these other, you know, management people or ownership. Like, get out of town. You don't talk to our star player. So I'd be a little bit weird with that if I was a, a Dallas Mavericks fan. All right, Luca makes forty million. Lowry Markkinen, who is the crux of the trade, goes has to go back to Dallas. There's just no way I think they're making a trade that doesn't send Lowry. Back to uh, Dallas. The problem is Lowry only makes $17 million a year. Like, he just doesn't make enough cash for it to be worth it. So then they're going to want expiring contracts. So that would be Kelly Olynyk gets you to $30 million. Then you probably have to throw in two of the young players. So let's say Taylor Hendricks. The Jazz aren't going to want to give up everybody. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The Jazz are going to try and hold on to somebody. Yes. And let's say right now the Jazz are happy to throw in Ochai Abaji. So that is... Ochai, Taylor, as far as the young pieces, expiring in Kelly Olynyk and Lowry Markkinen, who's a player that they can build around. And then the Jazz have 17 future picks going out. So the Jazz send out their own 2025 pick. The Jazz send out their own 2027 pick. These are all unprotected, by the way, because it's Luka Doncic. Uh, the Jazz send out their own 2029 first-round pick. And probably like the Lakers un or top four protected pick that they've got in 2028 or whatever that was that they got in the Mike Conley trade. And let me just uh, try this. I'm using fanspo.com that says it works. So there you go. And crazy enough, it says the Jazz actually improved by two wins. <laughs> so, so that's what it takes. It takes yeah. Lowry, 
it takes two of the four young players, if not more, and you're really happy that you held on to Walker Kessler and Keontae George in this conversation, and you might not be able to do that. Yep. You might have to give up one of those two players in this conversation to get Luka Doncic. And then that, that means that, A, Luka has become available, B, that the Jazz had the best offer, which everybody would line up to get him. Oh, yes. What's actually kind of a little bit interesting and maybe a good point for the Jazz suddenly is that the team that could always outdo the Jazz in these trades was going to be Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City's good enough now that they may not make up a franchise or roster-blowing-up trade now to go get a superstar, where I think they would have at the start of the season. So in a weird way, they have these golden handcuffs with Jalen Williams and Chet, and obviously they're not going to move Shea now, and maybe they would have before the year for Luka. Like they would still move Jalen Williams and Chet, I think, for Luca, but then you have Luca and Shea in the backcourt. Doesn't make any sense. So, like in a weird way, their success has helped the Jazz move up the trade ladder as far as having the best packages in the NBA. No, definitely. I think that since OKC has found so much success, like they go from looking for Jason Tatum level players to Jalen Brown level players, right? I think yes. Jalen Brown would help that team much more than Jason Tatum considering the stuff that you'd have to ship out to get them you know what I mean right you are looking for and I would I might even go a step back I might even say it's like it's like Jeremy Grant yeah like the, people are talking about Lowry Markin well the problem is the Jazz aren't trading Lowry Markin into Oklahoma City without getting Jalen Williams back and they're saying well man guys Jalen's in his second year he's averaging 19 points a game and he's like a go-to player at the end of games if Shea can't do it so we're not giving him him so it's like, okay, well, then they have to go and look at draft picks for Jeremy Grant and salaries, and they could you know, maybe throw in Lou Dort, and that package is not good enough to get Lowry. It is good enough to get somebody out of Portland, though. So, yeah, it, it, they've actually gotten really interesting because uh, they're not going to want to give up any of their young pieces. And, guys, if you're trading a star, you want young pieces back. Yeah. So they've almost had too much success to add another piece. They almost have to go in all in this year or just don't do it at all. And then I don't know if they're good enough to win a title. That's that's the hard part. Jazz had the best record in the NBA, too, a couple of years ago and weren't good enough to win in the playoffs. We will see if uh, the Thunder are able to do it. All right. Sorry, that was a, a weird tangent off of a Luka Doncic trade request. <laughs> Next up, from Glenn Anderson, um, how do we make sure we don't turn into the Detroit Pistons, who recently set the longest losing streak in NBA history? Well, it really helps to have Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck, yes. who are not morons. Uh, and the Detroit Pistons front office is a joke and is part of the reason why they are in this disaster. I think Monty Williams is a good coach, actually. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm way off on that, but I think Monty Williams has proven he's a good coach historically. Will Hardy's obviously a very good coach, so I'm not worried about that. But clearly, a good coach can lose 28 games in a row like Monty Williams and the Pistons did. But their, their management is such a joke. Oh, yeah. that That's the problem. Ownership and management is terrible, and the Jazz have really involved ownership and management that they just wouldn't let it get to that point. And here's here's the difference between Detroit and some of the other young teams in the NBA. Like I'm not gonna like of course the Utah Jazz and the OKC Thunder. Those are the two teams I'm gonna use an example here. Are young teams that have like blatantly much more talent than the than the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, but they're all young teams, right? But it's the difference between young teams that can play together and that work together and don't. The Detroit Pistons have zero shooting on the roster. Right, it's a disaster the way that team is put together. Yes, Um, and then. You need a good balance of veterans and rookies. Like, if you look at um, the OKC Thunder, they have Shea. He's basically a veteran now. He's been in the league since, what, 2018, 2019? He's on a second Um, contract. Yeah, exactly. And you have some older guys that come off the bench. And then for the Utah Jazz, you have Markinen, who's a veteran now. You have Kelly Olenek. For the Detroit, you have Bogdanovich, who's— Oh, I like Boyan. he's good. I loved covering him. 
He's a specialist. Yes. It's one of the interesting, tra- and, and we can talk about the Bogdanovich trade because it involved Kelly Olenek. And last year, I remember thinking like, well, that's a bad value for the Jazz. Kelly is not as good as Boyan Bogdanovich. And maybe in certain situations, he's not. Boyan can play 25 to 30 minutes on a playoff team, and I think you're good. And Kelly, I don't think, can play 30 minutes in the playoffs. I actually believe that. But what Kelly does is so unique and so special, and what Boyan does is so specialized. In some ways, it's harder for a bad team to win with him. Like, I promise you, Kelly Olynyk, if he was on that Pistons team instead of Boyan Bogdanovich, they wouldn't have lost 20, 28 games in a row. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. he's just too good at all the other things that he would have randomly stopped a streak because he knows how to win and he knows how to do whatever a team needs. And Boyan, as great as he is, can't say, well, tonight I need to fill this role because our team needs it to get a win. Boyan says, guys, I'm going to shoot 40% from three on nine attempts. That's what I do. Give me the ball. But that's not enough by itself to win games. Uh, but I love Boyan. But, you know, the Jazz traded for Kelly Olenek last year before the season began, specifically so they could run an offense. Like, specifically so they had a guy who had corporate knowledge of how to play basketball where Walker Kessler was not yet at that point, and they needed somebody to just know how to do all the little things alongside Mike Conley to make everyone's life easier, and he did, and he continues to do that, and it's why he's going to have, I think, a pretty robust trade market. I don't think you have to worry about turning into the Detroit Pistons because the Pistons are generationally bad. Yeah. Before they, I don't know what their uh, win percentage is right now, but before they won their game um, against Toronto, they were two and twenty-nine, which is a six percent win percentage um, <laughs> across the, all four major sports. Granted, we are like about a third of the NBA season or whatever it was uh, then. The lowest we're talking hockey, we're talking baseball, we're talking yeah. football, we're talking basketball. For full seasons going back in all history of American sports, the lowest win percentage of all time is 11%. Yeah. Nearly well, the, double. The Pistons did, or excuse me, the Lions did go winless yes. one year. So Detroit yes. has had some ineptitude. Yes, yes. Historically. Yes. Sorry, we're talking about um, on the larger scale of longer non-NFL. seasons. Non-NFL. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Non-NFL. Absolutely. Uh, they're at 9% right now. Yeah. They are 3-30 and 30 on the season. <laughs> and I, again, since Valentine's Day, they've got five wins. They're like yeah. five and... 55 or something, or 5 and 60 in their last 55, 60 games. It's crazy. Yeah. So very little to worry about there. Next up from uh, Denny Karchner, um, who is most likely to be traded? Kelly Olenek. Kelly Olenek. Yeah, it's Kelly. Uh, he's got an expiring contract. He's not a player that's going to come in and totally shake up the roster wherever he's going. The Jazz aren't going to give up Lowry Markinen or Keontae George or Taylor Hendricks at this point. And I don't think that there's the market for Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, et cetera, who just make more money and are on long-term contracts and come in and have to play 25 minutes right away versus Kelly, who makes $12 million, which is really easy to trade for. He comes off your books at the end of the year, and you can plug and play him everywhere in the NBA. So it's Kelly. Yeah, I Kelly, agree with Kelly's that. Kelly's the, the, the most likely to be traded because he has the best market. Uh, two more from Denny. Uh, would you project Jazz to make play-in or convey pick to OKC? Um or fall into the lottery. I don't think they're going to... Well, they can be in the lottery and still convey their pick to OKC because yeah. it's top 10 protected. So as long as you're 11 to 14, technically you're still in the lottery and you have a chance to move up into the top four. Very unlikely, but I don't think the Jazz hate that idea, actually. Mm-mm. Finish 11th, finish 12th, finish 13th, 
some strike of magic luck, you win the lotto, you move up to the top four. Okay, this draft, you're happy to have a top four pick in. You don't want to have the eighth pick in this draft. You don't want to have the ninth pick in this draft. In fact, yesterday I talked to Kristen Peake from Yahoo Sports. She's their NBA draft analyst. If you want to go find it, you can at kslsports.com. I also embedded her podcast into my Q&A that I wrote yesterday. You can go find it there. And she talks about kind of just how rough this draft actually is. And that doesn't mean there won't be good players, but you don't know where the good players are coming. So you're just kind of reaching into a bag and hoping that somebody comes out that is much better in the NBA than they've been in Europe or in college or in the G League so far. So that's the issue with this draft. So ideally, you finish outside of the top 10, you convey the pick to OKC, or you win the lottery and you move up into the top four. That's kind of, I think, the best case scenario for the Jazz right now. Uh, Last up, um, to what do you attribute the most recent success to? Uh, Health. Health. As boring as that sounds. But actually, let's say health status in general, because I think Jordan Clarkson getting injured allowed Will Hardy to put Colin Sexton into the starting lineup, and that's been the right move. He's been better than Jordan as a starter, and Jordan's been much better coming off the bench than he was as a starter. So that was right, and then you found a way to use Chris Dunn, and it pushed Keontae George back to the bench, which has actually been good for Keontae George. And Taylor Horton Tucker's out of the rotation. And we've all known that Taylor's a problem. And it's not a knock on Taylor. It's just how he fits with this roster. I think there are rosters that can use what Taylor Horton T- Tucker does. But the Jazz have two me-first scores and maybe three already who are better than he is in Jordan, Colin, and Keontae George, who are guys who can get their own shot. Taylor does that, but the Jazz have that skill set, so they don't need another guy to step in and do it. They need a guy like Chris Dunn who's just going to un- be unselfish and move the ball, and that's made them a lot better. Also, moving Walker out of the starting lineup with John Collins uh, and putting Kelly Olenek in the starting lineup has been very helpful. Uh, next up from Ed Holinsky, as it stands right now, which Jazz players are team MVP candidates? You asked players, so I will say Lowry, and that's boring, but it's yeah. true. Kelly actually probably be my number two this year on the team. But most valuable person in the Jazz organization has been Will Hardy. Yeah. Will Hardy's been amazing this year. Like, to have a team that's this young with these weird veterans that all should have splintered off and said, either I've already gotten paid or it's a contract year for me in the case of Kelly Olynyk. I'm just going to worry about me. I'm going to try and get traded out of Utah and go to a better situation. He kept that team together when it felt like this team was really, you know, coming apart at the seams. And has now got them playing their best basketball. And he continues to like tinker with the lineups, which I think really drops your basement really low. When you tinker as much as the Jazz do, you hit some nights where you're like, we lost by 50 to Dallas because he was trying these crazy things that they'd never done before. But then once you find those winning combinations, it's what Ty Lue does and why he's been such a good coach in his NBA career. He really does it with the Clippers really well. Like He will try crazy stuff, including in a playoff series against the Jazz when they were down... 0-2 and looked like the Jazz were going to go to the conference finals. And he says, oh, well, what if we just play small? We dare lo- Rudy Gobert to leave the paint? And Quinn Snyder said, no, we're never going to have Rudy Gobert leave the paint. He said, fine, then Terrence Mann's going to sink threes in the corner the whole game. We're going to totally abandon what we did all season long. Totally abandon what we did all year long to see if this works, and it worked. And the Jazz had no ability to, to combat it. Will Hardy is now that guy who's saying, well, we, yeah, I know that this has like been our belief system what if i totally throw it out the window and try something different that that takes a lot of guts as a coach uh to to say what if i'm wrong and try something different and then if you get the results good for you and he's done it so uh give me mvp will hardy 
I would say another dark horse, like you said, would be Colin Sexton. Maybe he slides into that third slot just because the Jazz needed some scoring production um, with all the injuries that came out. And then he, he stepped up, had the stretch of 25-point games. Yep. And I would say he was a big reason for a lot of those wins. We might just need to get to game 70 before we recognize how exactly yes. important Colin Sexton has been. But so far, I, w- I would give it to Will Hardy. Honestly, yep. I would. Uh, next up from James McKinney. Does Reed Shepard seem like a guy that could fit well with our roster next year, depending on he- how things shake out with the trade deadline? So Reed is a 19-year-old guard who plays at Kentucky if you haven't started your draft prep yet, which I, I'm going to tell you I also haven't. I, I A, always do it after the season because I don't have time to do it during the season. And B, I want to know where the Jazz are drafting. And C, I hate watching college basketball live. A, it takes too long, and I don't care about who wins the game, but because I— am just a normal person. I become a college basketball fan. I like I stop paying attention to what I'm supposed to be paying attention to because I'm like, oh, this game's exciting. And then I'm not worrying like, hey, what is Reed doing off the ball when he's not, you know, getting touches? Is he still doing the right things? Which is how I, you know, like to scout guys when I'm getting ready for the draft. So honestly, I haven't watched a lot of him. I have read about the draft. He is the fastest climber on draft boards across the uh, across everybody's board. He was basically not going to be drafted. Goes to Kentucky. He's from Kentucky, so it wasn't even like he's this five-star top ten recruit, and has become arguably their most important player. He's a knockdown three-point shooter, six foot two, six foot three wingspan, but is actually a pretty good defensive player because he tries really hard. I still think you don't want small guys. I'm still just so out on small people in the NBA. With all due respect, as a fellow small person, I love that the Jazz went out and said, "You know what? Taylor Hendricks is six, six foot ten. He's got a seven foot wingspan." He jumps 37 inches off the floor, whatever it is. We can probably figure out a way to use that. And I look around the NBA, and the good teams are huge. Shea is huge. Chet Holmgren is huge. Jalen Williams is huge. Luka is huge. Like, the best guys are really big. And the Jazz were sunk over the last five seasons because Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell were really small. So go get big guys. So in that sense, Reed Shepard, you're too small. You might be a good player, and maybe you end up on the Jazz. But I think you're too small to be a star at the next level, and the Jazz are hunting for stars. But I will say this. If the Jazz want a player in this draft, even if they convey their first-round pick to Oklahoma City, if they see somebody out there and they say, we've got to get Collier or we've got to get whoever this player is, they can go get him. They have the assets to go get that person. Even if they give their first-round pick this year to the Thunder, they can trade the future Lakers pick, they can trade a young player and a pick, whatever they have to, to move up and get that player if they say, Hey, man, I can't believe this guy's on the board at eight. He's a number one overall pick, and we're getting him at number eight. We've got to go get him. They can do it. So if they fall in love with somebody, they can. And plus, also, when you look at this year, you hit on a guard in Keontae who has high upside. I don't know if you would want to go back the next year and draft another high upside guard. Another guard. Yeah. I think that may not be the best decision. Especially oh. somebody who you can't play with Keontae in the same backcourt because yes. they're too little together. Like, Keontae and Colin Sexton are too small to play together in the backcourt long term, in my opinion. Maybe I end up being proven wrong on that. But they are little. They're not 6'8 and 6'3 or 6'5 and 6'1 or, you know, that combination of of a little bit smaller but then a much bigger guard. The Jazz need a bigger player to play next to Keontae going forward if he's going to be their point guard of the future. So that's where I also think Reed Shepard probably doesn't make sense. All right, last question here from BYU Batman. Uh, What's the market for Jordan Clarkson and John Collins, if any? Uh, Shouldn't the Jazz sell Clarkson while he's hot? Uh, I I don't—you don't have to sell Jordan Clarkson right Mm -hmm. now. Like— Jordan Clarkson's fine. Now, if you get a crazy offer for him, and again, I'll bring up the Knicks just because the Knicks have been buyers going out and trading for OG Ananobi, but they also lost 
uh, Emmanuel quickly in that trade who was their best bench scorer, and they say we need to replace Emmanuel quickly with a bench scorer who's out there. Like the Evan Fournier for Jordan Clarkson trade matches up perfectly, and then the Jazz could probably get a pick next. And again, the cool thing about Jordan Clarkson's contract for everybody in the NBA is he's paid like 23 or $25 million this year. It drops to 13 next year. So it's almost like you do get an expiring contract because you shed $10 million off your books this season to next year, which is the same as if you were to trade for Taylor Horton Tucker. But you still get the player, which is nice. So he, he has a very tradable contract in that sense, talking about uh, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I will say this. I, I've seen it reported different in a couple different places. I think technically it's the seventh. The Jazz actually can't trade Jordan Clarkson today. Some places I saw the third is when it opened up. But when you sign a contract extension before you become a true free agent, which is what happened, you can't get traded for six months. So he technically, I think, signed his extension on July 7th. So what would that be? Today's the third. It's like Saturday or whatever it is, Sunday, is when the Jazz could trade him for the first time. So there might actually be a market for him, but doesn't open up until next week. I think that the trade market for Jordan Clarkson is significantly higher than it is for John Collins. I think John Collins is still figuring out his uh, career, what it's going to look like post-Atlanta. And I think that there are, quite frankly, a lot of teams that could use the spark of Jordan Clarkson. Detroit is a great example of that. They need shooting. Any team that needs bench scoring or shooting, I feel like would be willing to take a waiver on Jordan Clarkson, right? Because it's not a, it's not a, like you're putting, you have to give up so much to get Clarkson. No. And he's fine coming off the bench he can not play that much in the playoffs he can play whenever you need him to and you know what he does yeah i know exactly what jordan clarkson does on the knicks i know exactly what he does on miami i don't know what john collins actually does on nb any nba team Mm. including the jazz i mean the jazz have not figured out what what john collins is yet atlanta never figured out what he is and he has a lot of money and several years left on his deal i mean if the jazz were to trade john collins right now like they have to attach a first round pick to do it you don't need to do that. Mm. This is not the Derek Favors situation where the Jazz needed to clear up money. You don't need to do that with John Collins. Keep him around. Whatever. Yeah. It's fine. If somebody wanted him, maybe you would trade him. But I don't think there's a market for him at all where I could see a market materializing for for JC. D- John Collins. Or, excuse me, Jordan Clarkson. Not John <laughs> Collins. Both JCs. So uh, for, for Jordan Clarkson, I could see a, a market materializing for him uh, before the February 15th trade deadline. All right, thank you guys for tuning in to the Jazz Notes podcast. Uh, the Jazz will take on Detroit tonight at home and then go on on that tough three-game Eastern Conference road trip. Yeah, as always, follow us at KSL Sports. You can do that uh, on TikTok, on Twitter, X, Instagram, anywhere you uh, get your social media, Facebook. And then follow me at Ben's Hoops and Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. We'll be back with you next Tuesday.